It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's get closer and closer to Thanksgiving. John Roberts is just getting out of bed. He wanted me to buy him some time. He's going to be with us in a matter of moments. Bring us inside Washington, D.C. as the president uh, gets set to sponge off somebody else in Martha's Vineyard, I think it is, or is it Narragansett? I'm not sure. Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour. Bring us inside the Republican battle for the nomination after the president announces some of more former staffers and... Uh, you thought allies have said, I think I'm going to run for it, too, as well as the drama revol- uh, revolving around Herschel Walker and his quest to be the next senator from Georgia. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. My sense is that Warnock probably wins. The polling seems to suggest that the polling is not very good, though. There's just a greater enthusiasm for him than the GOP right now. If Herschel Walker wins, Brian Kemp needs to get a lot of credit for it, given his ground game effort. Georgia runoff. Herschel uh, trails Warnock by about four. Can his new best friend and one of the nation's most successful governors, Brian Kemp, show him the path to victory well examined? Number two. I think what, what I've accomplished in my 54 years at the NIH, although COVID is really, really very important, it is a fragment of the total 40 years that I've been doing it. Ugh. Fauci farewell. Chaotic exit like his chaotic COVID reign was an epic fail. And judging by his actions and words, he seems to have forgotten all of his thuggish ways and wrong information. But we have not forgotten. We'll review. Number one. When we take power, we'll start the investigation. We'll look at every order. We'll look at every means of what he has done. He has lied to the American public. This investigation could lead to an impeachment inquiry. But will, will that will that actually do that as the Republicans add one more vote to their majority in the House? The border wars. McCarthy displays his fight at the border while the White House calls it a stunt. I call it responsible as a Democratic senator seems to agree. Meanwhile, the GOP picks up another House seat. They're up to 220 now. And McCarthy struggles to secure the speaker votes uh, to take the gavel. John Roberts is with us now. If anyone knows Washington and the drama uh, and the story between the lines, it's John Roberts. He's the same John Roberts who co-hosts America Reports. Hey, John. But not the same John Roberts at the Supreme Court. Let's, let's make that delineation clear. Yes, <laughs> uh, you are not Chief Justice because he's, you know what, he's harder the book than you are. So that's the main difference. I thought he was easier to book than me because I really hold out for the highest bidder. You really so. do. And so far, <laughs> again, I have that bigger budget in radio. That's where all the money is. So, so John, first off, on the drama behind the scenes with McCarthy and the votes, I think he's he's lost about five Republican House members. Uh, you got Good. You have Gates. You have Biggs. Uh, Biggs, who are against, okay, who are they waiting for? I mean, who's in the wings that they want so bad? Uh, I I don't know that it's uh, so much of a who could rise to challenge McCarthy, because whoever would would not have enough votes to get 218 unless they go wholesale in the other direction and they throw McCarthy overboard. I think this is probably more of a negotiating tactic by the Freedom Caucus to to say, look, there are demands that we want to have in terms of the tenure of leadership and what positions we have on selecting people who go on these committees. And I think that you're going to probably over the next month 
don't see a lot of backroom negotiations to try to placate uh, people like Biggs and Gates and Jim Jordan and uh, and others. Although, you know, Jordan is going to be uh, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, so he's got a, a plum assignment right out of the box there. Uh, but I think that if if McCarthy can throw enough bones to the people who are opposing him, uh, enough of them might come on board for him to get 218, 219. I would hope so. I mean, I just don't know. Steve Scalise says, I'm not looking for that job. And you also have a situation where Jim Jordan already signed on, and he's the power. I thought he was the power behind the Freedom Caucus. Uh, We'll see. I want you to hear, so we know how bad the border is. Well, don't forget that the Freedom Caucus, to some degree, is like herding cats uh, if you're in the Republican leadership. So they, they, even though the Freedom Caucus itself is fractious from the overall uh, House Republican conference, there are fractures within the Freedom Caucus as well. So I don't have to tell you about the border. I never remember it worse to go down there is to see how bad it is. John, it used to be that Senator Schumer, Senator Barack Obama, Senator Biden, Senator Harry Reid all talked about a border wall, a need for security, the folly of of uh, the lottery system. Uh, what happened? What happened over the last few years where they don't seem to want to secure the border? The same people in virtually the same jobs. What changed for the Democrats? I, I, I couldn't tell you other than the fact that maybe the left has risen to such a position of prominence and their position is for as many immigrants as possible, as many asylum seekers as possible. And while this country was built on immigration, it wasn't built on illegal immigration. Right. And when you when you consider that since President Biden took over in January of 2021, nearly four and a half million people have come across the border illegally. That's staggering. That's more than the population of Los Angeles. You know, people hear, well, there's 200,000 this month and there's 2,600 gotaways per day, and they can never put those figures together. But if you say that the population of Los Angeles, an entire major American city, has moved across the border in the last two years, that kind of puts it into perspective where you begin to understand the magnitude of the problem. And Democrats used to realize, and Henry Cuellar is a lone uh, Democrat who's singing this song, they, they used to say that illegal immigration was bad for the country, that there was a process in place to allow for legal immigration that gave us people who wanted to become American citizens and and this was going to build the country. Well, that whole thing has just been thrown out the window by and large. And, and now you have Republicans in lockstep for the most part, saying that we need to do something about illegal immigration. You have most Democrats silent, and then you have voices like Henry Cuellar, who is saying, are you people in in, uh, D.C. crazy? This is ruining Texas. Uh, This is destroying the fabric of our communities uh, along the border, and we need to do something about it. Why aren't you doing something about it? I mean, even Senator Mark Kelly acknowledged the other day that Democrats, by and large, don't get it. So I, I don't know, Brian, what really happened other than the left became ascendant. But the the problem with the border now is stunning, particularly when you have Mayorkas last week saying that the border is secure. I mean, it's anything but. Just look at the numbers. It's such an insult when people say that. So Senator Kelly said this to The Washington Post uh, about does his party understand the border? He said, absolutely not. Not even close. When I first got to Washington, it didn't seem take me long to realize that there are a lot of Democrats who don't understand our southern border and a lot of Republicans who just want to talk about it. I actually think security, it's more than talk. But just to give you an understanding and our listeners an understanding of what I'm talking about, here is Barack Obama, Senator Obama in 2006, cut seven. The bill before us will certainly do some good. It will authorize some badly needed funding for better fences. 
and better security along our borders. And that should help stem some of the tide of illegal immigration in this country. He also knew the magnitude and what was at stake, cut six. And because we live in an age where terrorists are challenging our borders, we cannot allow people to pour into the U.S. undetected, undocumented, and unchecked. What happened to that guy? Nothing's changed. Only things have gotten worse. And we've gotten 98 people captured on the known terrorist watch list. And that's... One doesn't count the Godaways. Brian, I'm, I'm prepping a segment with uh, Michael Waltz, who's going to be joining me on set uh, for America Reports, which is another one of our fine Fox News programs, not just Fox and Friends. There are other ones as well. I know. I was uh, on it yesterday. How were the ratings when I was on? Do you know? The ratings were stellar. Right. Right up, right up until your appearance. And I don't know what happened. <laughs> then they plummeted. <laughs> Right. But I but I'm prepping a segment with Michael Waltz and and here's figures that Griff Jenkins got from his CBP sources yesterday. The daily average of people who cross over into this country and disappear, who are undocumented, who are unverified, people whose backgrounds we have no idea of, 2,693 every day. The fiscal year to date, 2023, which started on October the 1st, 134,649 so-called gotaways. Now, of those people, how many are looking for jobs and don't want to get caught and want to work in the United States? Probably, I would think, the majority. How many people are nefarious individuals who were involved in criminal enterprise? I would imagine that there's probably a pretty healthy percentage of those as well. And then how many of those people, those 135,000 people, are characters who want to do harm to the United States? Might be a very small percentage, but as the uh, Saudi hijackers proved uh, back on uh, September the 11th, you do not need to have a whole lot of bad people to wreak havoc in this country. So I want you to hear Karine Jean-Pierre have her retort to why uh, the administration has not sent people down to the border, why the president hasn't been there, cut three. The question that we have for Kevin McCarthy, uh, who's, soon to be, who's soon to be Speaker McCarthy, um, you know, what is, what is his plan? What is he doing uh, to help the situation that we're seeing? What, what is his plan? He goes down there and he does a political stunt like many Republicans do. So, that- so obviously there is a plan. And they have a plan in detail. And one thing they do is secure the border. Number two is they will withhold aid for those who don't secure their own border, make people apply for asylum in the immediate country they get to first, make sure 20,000 Marines return to the Mexican southern border. There's a ton of things to do, and you immediately expel people when they come over, and you put back the Remain in Mexico policy, which, John, we know works, and they know it because now they have Venezuelans who have to remain in Mexico, and they see that being effective. You know, you might not, or, or I'm not saying you, but just in general, you might not have liked the policies of Donald Trump, but he had a plan that he, that he, he implemented, which was having an impact on illegal migration, uh, combined with COVID, which people would say, well, that's an, an anomaly, but combined with COVID, uh, the numbers were a tenth of what they are right now during 2020 and the early part of, of 2021. Now, again, his policies were controversial, but he did have a plan, and that plan was making the border more secure and was reducing illegal migration. When Joe Biden got into office, he just threw everything out the window, and we are where we are today as a result. So do the Republicans have a, a viable plan? I, I don't know if it's 
you know, wholly viable. Could they ever get it through the Senate? No. So will there be changes in immigration? Likely not. It really is up to the White House because the immigration and defending the border is the sole purview of the executive branch. Congressmen can make some suggestions, but when it comes down to enforcing the laws, it really is the, the, the administration. So uh, my prediction is that over the next two years, there's going to be a lot of talking about this, a lot of arguing about it. Plans will be floated back and forth. Will anything get done? I would think it's probably 99% that nothing gets done, yeah. which is a shame because that means that another two and a half million people are going to cross over that border into our country. And with Title 42 off as of December 21st, Brian, predictions are that 18,000 people a day could cross our border knowing that they're not going to get kicked out. And what is that going to do to all of those communities along the border in Texas and Arizona and New Mexico and California? Yeah, so yesterday, uh, Anthony Fauci called it a uh, called it a federal, I guess, a governmental career who will probably make more money in the private sector. Uh, to me, there's been no worse public, worse public official. I cannot believe how overhyped he is, how self-congratulatory he became. If you just want to listen back to some of the moments where Anthony Fauci misled the country and just hamstrung us as a, uh, as a people, let's listen together. Cut 17. To the extent possible, don't travel, don't congregate together. I don't think we ever should ever shake hands ever again. I think the idea of taking masks off, in my mind, is, is really not something we should even be considering. It is, as we've said, a pandemic and an outbreak of the unvaccinated. If you are trying to, do, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. Yes, I'm attacking science, and I'll never take a mask off or shake your hand, John. Don't even ask me to. That was to, when he said that was December of last year. Uh, I know, Brian. I heard I heard you um, play those clips on the other uh, fine and famous Fox News program, Fox and Friends, earlier today, and it and it took me back that you know the the advice was one way one day and then the next week it was something completely different and there was never an attempt for Fauci to say well we're learning more about this now yeah. we were wrong last week uh, here is our latest recommendation it was just you move on from one to the next and people were left scrambling trying to keep up but this idea of if you challenge me you're challenging science <laughs> you know I, I he may have been the top infectious disease specialist in this country and, and one of the finest in the world particularly when it comes to HIV, but but to say I am science, I mean that's a little arrogant, don't you think? Yeah, I you know, and I could quote the great uh, or the not so great Jimmy Kimmel when he says instead of good riddance, just riddance. But uh, <laughs> but John, I just got to ask you this because you know the Trump uh, team pretty well. How likely is it that Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, uh, uh, Mike Pence both get into this race against the former president? I, I think they wait a couple of months and they see whether or not a Trump candidacy is gaining traction. And if it is, maybe they keep their powder dry for 2028. But if it's not, and at the moment, it doesn't seem like it's gaining a whole lot of traction, particularly after the, the midterm elections, they may just mount a challenge. Uh, Mike Pence, who was vilified by Trump followers after uh, January the 6th and, and his actions to Unjustly. Defend, def, def, defend the Constitution and, and 
and say this is the process of transition of power and certified the election. Um, he has gained new respect in many circles now. He's been out there on the speaking circuit. He's been out there campaigning for Republicans. And I think his chances are a lot better now than they were a year ago. He has rehabilitated himself in the eyes of uh, many conservatives uh, who were following Donald Trump. And so I'm, I'm not sure how much of a chance he has, but I think it's a better one than he had a year ago. Uh, I think Nikki Haley could be a very strong candidate as well, though there are a lot of Donald Trump followers right. who don't like her a whole lot. Ron DeSantis, I think, would probably be the strongest challenger. But the decision that they all have to make is, do they want to run the risk of the character assassination that will occur at the hands of Donald gotcha. Trump uh, in statements John, or on Twitter or on uh, True Social? And we'll have, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to end it there. But John Roberts going to watch America Reports today between one and three. John. Roberts, thank you. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, let's go to Joe out in Florida. Hey, Joe. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I was just thinking that since the Republicans have just won the House again and there's going to be a new Republican speaker coming up, the, uh, the upcoming State of the Union address, I'm remembering uh, petulant Pelosi deciding to tear up her yep. copy of the address. Yep. So uh, how much fun would it be for the new speaker to just kind of make a little bit of a callback there? I hope they don't. I know what you mean, and I understand the sense of revenge. I, th I It's inexplicable. You heard me last week when she was, people are just lauding her great career. I said, that's what, she lost me forever when she did that, and she was praised for doing that. It was one of the worst examples of leadership I've ever seen in my life. And for her to rip up a State of the Union speech, I'm just glad the president didn't see it at the time, because it would probably have been an even bigger deal, because he wouldn't have not allowed that to happen without saying something. So, no, I, I think that McCarthy should hopefully be in place by then and show some class. Uh, and that should never happen again. Uh, keep it here. By the way, all these investigations on Donald Trump, whatever you think of Trump, all politics, it should be concerning. Just because they don't like him, can't handle him, doesn't mean you sue him and try to get his taxes and make his life miserable and ruin his business. Brian Kilmeade Show. Rich Lowry next. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I don't think it's a coincidence that he started openly talking about this within 24 hours of the Politico report that Ken Griffin, the, the hedge fund billionaire, was deciding to align with Ron DeSantis. And I think he wanted to get out and try to stop the pivoting of billionaires away from him 
for 2024. It's, it's a money game for him. He doesn't like to spend his own money. He'd like to spend other people's money. So get out there, declare you're a candidate, open your fund so everyone can give you donations. And also you got to keep in mind, he did raise that $100 million for Save America PAC. And you can't spend money in the leadership pack on yourself. So the only way to redirect those funds is to get donor permission to redirect them. And you have to have a presidential fund in order to direct them into. So he had to do it and might as well make a big splash up. Well, that is Eric Erickson uh, telling us, bring us inside the Georgia race. In this case, bring us inside what's happening with President Trump and why he might have declared last week. Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, author of uh, The Case for Nationalism. Rich, welcome back. Do you hey, think that would you think of uh, Eric's assessment of why the president announced last week? That's interesting. I mean, I think it's it's part of it. I think the legal considerations are part of it. I think it makes him he, he thinks it makes it a little harder for the Justice Department to in, indict him. But I think at the end of the day, it's just it's a big dog move, right? It's like I'm the dominant guy. I'm the biggest guy in the room. I'm going first, and I'm daring the rest of you to get in. And by the way, here's some shots across the bow, just uh, so, so you can consider uh, before you get in. Um, I, I think that's that's the biggest motivation, and all, all the other stuff is secondary. So, how do you think it's been received? Because so far, according to his reports, that Trump numbers really haven't budged. If anything, they've gone down since he got in. Only 40 percent uh, of Republicans and Republic and independent leaning Republicans approve, say they would vote for him. 60 percent of Republicans are glad that he is going to run. So your thoughts? Well, the problem he has is when, when he came down that escalator, whatever it was now, seven years ago, I mean, it's hard to believe, you couldn't take your eyes off the guy. I, literally, it was the most shockingly new thing we've ever seen. There was something unexpected. There was some outrage every single day. And it's just really hard to replicate that. You know, we've we've gotten used to the Trump phenomenon. We've gotten used to, to him. And, you know, it, it was just telling a different setting. You know, it wasn't down an escalator was in a, a ballroom, um, you know, a guilt a guilt ballroom with a lot of this, the same themes that, that we heard for a very long time. So it's going to be hard for him to, to create that kind of big bang effect that he had last time. The media won't be quite as obsessed with him. Um, that that also hurts. But still, you know, it, and um, there was a national poll that had him tied with DeSantis uh, yesterday, the day before. Then there were a couple more that had him up, you know, 15, 20 points nationally. So he's obviously a huge factor, still has a, a big following. Um, but he's he's vulnerable. He he can be beaten. I wouldn't say he's necessarily going to be beaten, but he, he definitely can be beaten. I think the midterms hurt him most of all, more than anything mm -hmm. else, almost as much as some of these cases against him, because it showed the vulnerability. Yeah, you can win a primary. That means you have Republicans. But if you can't win a general, it yeah. doesn't matter. And I think, Rich, that the Republicans are so worried about losing again, they're mm -hmm. not going to look at their best candidate, yeah. the most conservative, Mark Levin, Rush Limbaugh. If they were to get in, they wouldn't be, even though they'd be the most popular Republican, I get the sense that these Republicans are going to look for somebody that's electable rather than the one that mirrors exactly my views. Yeah, th this is what parties that have been out of power for a little bit, th this is the way they, they always calculate. You know, it's why the, the Democrats get Bill Clinton in the early 90s. That's why Republicans after the uh, Newt, you know, who's a huge star and a meteor kind of in the way Trump was in 1994, you know, he flamed out and then they looked at something new and it was George W. Bush. So that phenomenon is definitely there. But it's, it's, it's with the Trump thing, though, it's a little weird because it's not necessarily 
that you're more conservative or more moderate. It's whether you're you're really closely associated with Trump or not. So Ron DeSantis is a winger, right? I mean, there's no doubt he's fearless, he's combative, he's proved it over and over again, but he hasn't said Trump's name in a year. So does that make him a moderate, or, or what is he? You know. Um, so I would say he's a non-Trump conservative. It's just a lot of people on the right, and especially Trump's fans, have kind of defined conservatism as loyalty to Trump, and I think that that dynamic could be giving way. I'll drill down on it. He was able to get Democratic votes, obviously, and Hispanic votes in Florida. So maybe pull back on the conservative enough and think to yourself, is he okay with independents and moderates? And can he do what Reagan did and win over some Democrats? Yeah. Well, the key thing with both DeSantis and Kemp is, you know, and it's not a totally fair test. They were ingrained um, incumbent governors, but they're conservative and they're competent and they have some appeal to the middle. You you add those three things together. You got a, a sweeping victory, you know, a historic one in Florida, a resounding one in Georgia. And it seems to me that's that's what the party should be going for. So Eric Erickson also weighed in on the runoff. And I want to get your take on the runoff. Here's how it's going right now. According to the latest poll, it looks like Warnock's up uh, three or four cut 28. My sense is that Warnock probably wins. The polling seems to suggest that the polling is not very good, though. Uh, There's just a greater enthusiasm for him than the GOP right now. Um, If Herschel Walker wins, Brian Kemp needs to get a lot of credit for it, uh, given his ground game effort. Um, I do kind of think Kemp would like Herschel Walker to win at this point, just so he can give more of a big middle finger to Donald Trump that Kemp can do things that Trump can't do. Your thought, because I found out, too, and just in going back and forth about what the party's doing, uh, the, so far the RNC um, has put about 100 staff on the ground uh, helping out the Kemp team. Kemp team got paid off to help them get out the vote. Yesterday, Brian Kemp, or two days ago, Brian Kemp, or it might have been yesterday, campaigned for the first time with Herschel. They kind of stayed away from each other, and Kemp yeah. got an extra 200,000 votes more than Herschel. What do you th- how does this play out in your mind? I think it's really hard for Herschel now, really hard. I mean, just with, with Kemp on the ballot, you know, providing that buoyancy, you know, he just, just fell short. Now Kemp's not on the ballot, and even if Kemp's go, going all out, which he, he should, it's, it's going to be really hard to get this flawed candidate over the top. When Republicans, you know, if the Senate depended on it, it'd be that extra motivation. You know, people in the, the suburbs, okay, I don't particularly like, like Herschel, but if the, the choice is between McConnell and Schumer as majority leader, okay, I'll, I'll go do it. And I just don't think any of that push is going to be there. So I, I think it's it's hard for him, and I would I would expect him to lose at this point, unfortunately. Uh, you Even though there's more Republicans in Georgia today? Yeah, I just think it's it's Herschel himself. You know, if if there are five fewer allegations, you know, if he if he knew a little bit more about uh, policy, he's he's I think he's a sweet man, and uh, he did really well in that debate. But he's just flawed as a Senate candidate, and I think that's what held him back. That's why he couldn't couldn't get over the top on election night. And I, I think it's it's going to be probably decisive in the runoff. Fifty four thirty nine. Warnock had more independence. Uh, Fifty and over. It was all. Uh, Herschel, and so far, uh, Herschel has the advantage 53, 44, and 50 plus, 18 to 49, and 61, 37. Walker, see if he can get in there and go into Cobb County. Evidently, that was his uh, his weakest place. 
Uh, yeah, other- and also, unfortunately, we have to admit maybe at this point Warnock is a pretty good candidate because, you know, general election last time, a runoff, and then the general election this time, three three races, Republicans threw everything they had at him, and now there's a fourth, you know, when Republicans are doing the same thing, and he's still ahead, and I, I'm just afraid he's not going down. So let's talk about what you saw yesterday at the border. Kevin McCarthy there making it clear this is going to be his focus. Cut to. Well, we first take the investigation, the orders lying to the American public, withholding ICE from doing their job, not following through on what the laws of the books are today. We never do impeachment for political purposes. We're having an investigation. We know exactly what Secretary Mayorkas has done. We've watched it across this nation. Something has never happened before. We watched him time and again before a committee say this border is secure, and we can't find one border agent who agrees with him. And he went down and he basically brought many members of the Republican uh, caucus down there with him. Your thoughts about him doing this, knowing that getting him impeached with a Republican mm-hmm. Senate, a Democratic Senate, is not going to happen. Yeah, so shine a light on it, make him squirm, um, pass bills that would restore, um, remain in Mexico, and implement other sensible border policies, knowing it's not going anywhere, but just to create political heat. But impeaching him, uh, you know, it just, it, it's kind of pointless. It send, sends a message, but obviously it's going nowhere in a Democratic Senate. But it is a classic case of dereliction of duty. You know, this guy's supposed to have, well, he has a lot of jobs, but but this is high on the list. And that he and the rest of the administration just have no interest in doing it. Yeah. Do you think McCarthy becomes speaker? I mean, do you know what the holdup is and what these five want? (laughs) I think he probably will because there just there aren't good alternatives. Um, so he'll just he'll end up making a lot of concessions and it'll be painful and barely getting over the top. But but I'm not 100 percent on that. You know, I, I have a sneaking suspicion Kevin might be one of these guys that snake bit. You know, he's wanted something for so long, really close in 17, just pulled away and maybe really close this time and just pulled away. But 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 if I had to bet, I think he becomes speaker. All right. Uh, Rich Larry, have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks so much. You too, Brian. All the best. You got it. one 408 I'll come back and take your calls. Find out what's on your mind. And. Going into these ho- this holiday season, do you expect anyone to join Donald Trump and declare their candidacy? I get the sense a lot of people are queuing up and staffing up, including this guy named Mike Pence. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I look back to the guys like Will Rogers, Bob Hope, Carson Leno, and you never knew what those guys, what their side was politically. And they would make fun of anybody and everybody, both sides, whoever was in office, and it was okay. And I think our country had a better sense of humor then. But I think what's happened is a lot of comedians have now, they pick a side, and then they start name-calling and pointing fingers and call the other side, you know, idiots. And so what that does is you eliminate half the audience. Right. So I think there's an easier way, not an easier way, I think there's a better way of just making a little fun of everybody. Because I think most people in this country have a decent sense of humor. Yeah. And you can be made fun of a little bit. But don't point fingers and call names. When Trump was in office, I had a lot of fun with that. And yep. now Biden's in office, you saw one of the clips. Walter, one of my characters, is everybody yeah. has said for years since Obama was in office that he looks like Biden. <laughs> so I, I'm just kind of embracing that now. And on stage, the fourth wall is gone. He knows he's dressed up like Biden, but he's become Biden. Biden. And, but we're not being mean about it. You know what I mean? Uh, people from the left come to my show. People from the right come to my show. And uh, I, everybody has an, an equally good time. 
We think so. And that was uh, Jeff Dunham talking about, you know, he does, uh, he's a ventriloquist and he's very famous. He'll sell out an arena of uh, 50, you know, 25,000. Uh, and that's actually what he's doing with the special. But he just said that, you know, I, he was on Gutfeld too the other night and says, listen, I, I insult both sides. It makes it easier. Glenno did the same thing. But these guys don't at night. I mean, these guys actually promo. Coming up later, Chuck Schumer. What late night host, Letterman or when he was nonpartisan or seemingly that or Carson or, or Dick Cavett would ever say, hey, coming up later, uh, a the majority leader of the House, you know, unless unless you're in the middle of an election. But that's it's really whatever would you have normally you'd have on C-SPAN or or uh, Axios on HBO is now on late night television. And remember, Jimmy Kimmel said, Jimmy Kimmel said, I was really told that I'd be able to expand my audience and get additional ratings if I would be a little easier on Trump. And he basically told them, then get a different host. That's unbelievable to me. Laura, you're listening in Louisville. Hey, Laura. Hi. Well, um, I was not talking about that, but what I was wanting to say is earlier when you were talking to that man. Um, Rich Larry. Yes, I'm sorry about, you know, we didn't get a big red wave. And honestly, I don't think the nation ever was going to get a big red wave because, unfortunately, we're worshiping at the altar of abortion. I think even Republicans went into that booth and they didn't have to say that they voted for abortion because nobody really wants to say that. And I just think that that is what caused us to not have as much change because of that decision. I think that played heavily because everybody's scared, like, that, you know, that they can't do anything. And I think that's not what the Supreme Court said when they said states. You're going to decide. Okay, well, then the states were going to decide, okay, like, if this happens to a woman, okay, then yes, we're going to have to remove that because we don't want you to die. And I think women just like, oh, my gosh, if something happens to me, I'm going to die. And it's just such a misconception. And it just breaks my heart that we're a nation based on faith, and yet we are worshiping at the threshold of abortion. That's what I wanted to say. Gotcha. And, I, you know, I, I think most experts agree with you, Laura, that abortion played a major role in the last election because people don't want to be told what to do. Even though it's life and life, uh, you can go pro-life, uh, pro-choice, you get to debate that. And we have for the last 50 years and probably 100. But what they're saying is if you put it in the category of mandates, yeah, I might choose to wear a mask. I might choose to get a vaccine. But you're going to fire me because I'm not getting a vaccine? You're going to ridicule me or not let me in without a mask? That's when people just say, okay, I'm done. And that's what they found with Anthony Fauci, too, by the way, who called it a career yesterday, called it a federal government career yesterday. Here's uh, him when everything seems to go off the rails yesterday with uh, the press conference. And you see Corrine Jean-Pierre just jump into the middle of this, uh, this, this disagreement. So he's at the end. Some people are asking about the origins of the virus and why he, uh, in the beginning, says this, there's no way this was a lab leak. Remember, here he is, cut 15. We've got to probably do a better job of when we talk to the public, explain that this is a dynamic situation that could change. I've said that from this podium multiple times when we were talking about, for example, do we need to do anything different now when we had 15 cases? I said, but, however, semicolon, this could change. 
the only thing per people heard when they throw it back at you, well, you said we don't have to worry about anything. So you just got to make sure you always underscore the dynamic nature of what you're dealing with. Underscore the dynamic nature would you deal with. I don't see it becoming a problem in here. That there's always a chance, but I don't see it becoming a problem. And when it becomes a problem, let's say, you know, in January I thought this, but this is what's changed. And then when you ridicule people and call up the head of social media companies and say, make sure you sideline this person, make sure you freeze their account, make sure you tar them, make sure you allow the teachers unions to describe when you're getting back to school. And that's when science steps aside. When you see politics play on a daily basis, never admitting when you got it wrong, that's what to me was uh, uh, which was when I was done with him. Also, he was so in love with the camera. This guy was already talking about who would play him in the movies. He's on SNL. He's going to baseball games, throwing the first pitch. And I remember Dr. Marty McCary said, sometimes I get a call from my office and someone want me to do an interview. And I'd say, well, they have no listenership. I'm, I'm in the middle of practice. Is it really worth my time to do it? And they'll say, he'll say no, and I'll look up, and Fauci will do it. I mean, Fauci was doing Steph Curry's podcast, and here we are in 15 days to slow the spread, and he's doing ba basketball players' podcast. When he should not be doing that. That doesn't help anybody. But he wanted to be a celebrity. To me, he should have been doing the studies, and, and that's why I have no patience for him. When he comes out and tries to rehab his personality career with half the country, I think a smaller and smaller section of the country really look up to him still. He seems likable, everyone's grandfather. But I'll give you an example. Bob Dole comes off as someone, when he was alive, he's come off as someone really tough to take, looks so gruff. Then you get to know him, you hear his personality, you see how nice and charming he is, he changes. Anthony Fauci's just the opposite. You think he's nice, his delivery's nice, but what he says is so disturbing, I never want to hear from him again. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to be moving this investigation in Idaho forward with John Iannarelli, uh, the retired FBI guy, member of the executive staff of the FBI's cyber division, to try to make heads or tails of this. It's the one thing that's got college kids paying attention to the news again. Uh, and a little bit later, Harris Faulkner will join us. She's got a brand new uh, book out called Faith Still uh, Moves Mountains. And if you look anywhere at 48th and 6th, down 6th Avenue, all the bike racks are out, people, con crowd control uh, situations in place because the Thanksgiving Day Parade is all queued up, ready to go. No more limitations, no more pandemic. So before we get to John, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. My sense is that Warnock probably wins. The polling seems to suggest that the polling is not very good, though. There's just a greater enthusiasm for him than the GOP right now. If Herschel Walker wins, Brian Kemp needs to get a lot of credit for it, given Ju his ground game effort. Right, and he joined Herschel on the, on the ground yesterday. The Georgia runoff, Herschel trails Warnock by about four. Can his new best friend and one of the nation's most successful governors bring him to victory? We'll discuss it. Number two. I think what, what I've accomplished in my 54 years at the NIH, although COVID is really, really very important, it is a fragment of the total 40 years that I've been doing it. Uh, not in my mind. Uh, Fauci, farewell. Chaotic exit like his chaotic COVID reign. An epic fail. Judging by his actions and words, he seems to have forgotten all his thuggish ways and wrong information that he issued, but we have not. 
Number one. When we take power, we'll start the investigation. We'll look at every order, we'll look at every means of what he has done. He has lied to the American public. This investigation could lead to an impeachment inquiry. Wow. Uh, and there you go. That is Kevin McCarthy making it clear the border matters. And he's talking about Mayorkas, but he's really aiming at the president as he tries to lock up that speaker position. So we know about the murder of four over in Idaho. We also know it was brutal. We know it was done with a knife. We don't have the murder weapon and we don't even have a suspect. With uh, John Yanarelli uh, joins us now uh, with your FBI background, John, from what we know on the outside and for what you were able to acquire on the inside. Do you sense that they're close to getting their person? At this point, because they're not releasing any information regarding a person of interest, I don't think they're close. I think there's a lot of work that still has to be done to try to figure out who was this individual that had enough knowledge of the house to be able to come inside, commit four murders, and get away totally undetected. So you got six calls to the ex-boyfriend. He's not good. He's not a suspect. You have a guy in a white shirt at the food truck in front of the the uh, two of the roommates who would eventually die, be murdered. There's not a prospect. You have an independent driver, I guess an Uber type driver, that dropped them off and brought them around. He's not a suspect. So we know who's not a suspect. And we also know the two roommates that slept through it are not suspects. So what does that tell you? What about their alibi is that strong that everyone immediately got eliminated? The fact that they can eliminate them so quickly must mean they have strong alibis. And that's normal in an investigation. They're going to look at the people closest, but they're looking at the people closest because they don't know who to look at yet. One of the things we're seeing is they brought the FBI in after the investigation began. The FBI is going to not only help with the crime scene for looking for DNA evidence, but likewise, they're going to be examining everybody's right. device, see who they communicated with and who maybe was sending them disturbing messages. Uh, possibly. I mean, that, that would be a, a no-brainer. What I also find stunning that I still haven't heard an explanation, it might be a quality one, I just haven't heard it, is that we hear from one of the roommates' phone used to call 911. The roommates originally called in, we haven't heard the call, but said that they were unconscious. Really? This was supposed to be a bloody scene with with blood coming out the out the door. How could you mistake unconscious for stabbed to death? We need some more explanation on that. Now, it could be a person who was so shocked and in denial of what's taking place. Maybe it was a darkened room. Who knows? But you're right. I've seen crime scenes like this, and they're pretty graphic. So you would think you know who exactly is looking right. at the situation and what's happening. You did tell me before you you, free, you fear this is going to be a Jean Benet Ramsey case. It's unsolved. We don't know for sure. Just a lot of suspects. I think it's going to be solved, but what I do see is some problems. The fact of the matter, they came in subsequently and decided to expand the crime scene after the fact to look for other physical evidence. How many people have wandered through those areas after the initial police response? You should have set up a perimeter in the very initial stages and called in the FBI right away to, because they have expertise in evidence collection. I think they've been a little sloppy in the beginning. Hopefully it's going to get a resolution. It's interesting you said to me, look out for the 23andMe and those. If you supply that blood, even if the blood is commingled with the suspect's blood, can you separate that blood? They or can, once they're commingled, they're done? No, you can separate out DNA. And here's the best part of that. 
even if this subject has never been arrested, there's no DNA on record, if any remote family member has entered 21, 23andMe, etc., there's always going to be a way to try it back to the family and determine, okay, who in this family is a possible subject? Going to University of Idaho, kind of a, or going in the Idaho area, going to school or, or living there. So here's what Jim Clemente said. He's a retired FBI guy like you. He said, why did he choose a knife? It's quiet. It's quiet. It, it didn't wake up uh, the rest of the residents in the house. It could be for that reason. The fact is he used a knife. It is graphic, but we call it. He doesn't mind we, uh, wet work. He doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. He doesn't pale at the side. He doesn't pale at the side of blood. He killed four different people this way. He just doesn't sort of blanch and run after the first plunge. So that makes me think, not being an expert like you, that this guy's killed before or done some heavy work with uh, with hunting. He's clearly comfortable in using a knife. No one starts off by doing mass murder with a knife. You graduate to that. So he's committed other acts of violence, whether it be on animals or other persons, and he's built up to this. But using the knife indicates rage. This was an angry person, and that's why the police may have success in this, because there's going to be few people to identify that have such rage. John Yannarelli is here. Uh, he has spent so much time in the FBI. He's also a cyber expert. So are you laughing out loud when you hear that cyber experts have been hired by CBS to look at Hunter's laptop to see if it's authentic? Are you kidding? Two and a half years later, now they're curious? How soon did you know that that, lab, that, that laptop was authentic? We've talked about this before. As an FBI cyber investigator... I would have known in about 30 minutes when I got the laptop. I've wondered what's happened to this investigation. Where's that laptop? What shelf has it been sitting on? And the fact that they could make pronouncements so quickly that, oh, this is not real. It's all disinformation is ridiculous. The facts in the cyber world speak for themselves. They can't be changed or altered. The evidence is the evidence. It's clearly his laptop. Right. And plus, there's pictures of him, and it goes on for years. They said the sheer volume of it. So would you ever do something as rudimentary, uh, John, as uh, pick up the phone and say, hey, Devin Archer, you're a friend of, uh, this is the FBI. You're a friend of Hunter Biden. There's an email here with your name on it. We'd just like to know if this is your email. Was this email exchange? Could you do that? And if they lied to you, is that is that a problem? You can absolutely do that. That's pretty standard procedure. And lying to the FBI in the course of an investigation is a federal crime that you can At be any level, even if you're probing. Absolutely. But also, Hunter Biden himself never said, this is not my laptop. He said, I don't know. Well... You know, Hunter, are you missing a laptop? How many laptops do you own? How could you not know whether or not it's your laptop? Based on everything we're seeing now, it's his laptop. So what, where do you go from here then? If it's authentic, then you go through to another arm of the invest FBI investigators. So you're the cyber division. You say this is real, this is authentic. Then you turn it over to an investigator. Well, there's FBI special agents who are cyber investigators. They take the case they do from it start to finish, and that's what's going to happen in this matter. Are you concerned? I heard there's about a dozen whistleblowers have come forward and talked about how politicized the FBI has come, become. I have not seen any of them, but the Jim Jordans or Ron Johnson have. What do you expect to happen now that Republicans are in charge, and what will you be looking for to see if this is, hey, I didn't get promoted, or I am concerned that I'm not playing the game and I'm not getting promoted, playing the game where uh, investigate Trump, investigate Republicans. 
You know, the FBI is an interesting animal. It is one of the few places in the world most people don't want to be promoted. The best job in the world is being a street agent. And I will tell you, Brian, the vast majority of FBI are good people who want to help you. It's executive management. It's leadership in Washington that sent the FBI down the road it's in. That's where you're getting the whistleblowers coming forward to complain about those people. So it's not going to be complaints by people who are disgruntled because they didn't get what they want. It's complaints by by people within the FBI who care about America and the American people. So you you were curious to see what these 12 have to say? Absolutely. Right. I've heard a lot of talk from the agents I know still on board Same. that feel that the FBI has become woke in many ways. We're being directed away from investigations we should be working and focusing on things like we had the whole run on the school boards and the parents attending those meetings for a while. That should never be an FBI investigation. If somebody ever did anything wrong, that's a local crime. Don't waste government resources. So I'm going to bring you and put you in Chris Ray's spot. You know how politicized and the accusations against the FBI. You know it's out there. Everyone's saying that they're partisan to the left. You get a call from the attorney general and saying, I need you to raid Mar-a-Lago. We're having trouble getting documents from the former president. If you're Chris Ray, knowing that you're trying to break this, this stigma of being politicized, can you push back and go, Attorney General, that's a big mistake. You send my guys in there to a Republican who's already accused. And, and by the way, McCabe and Comey and those got their hands caught in the cookie jars. Peter Strzok and others been accused of being biased. You put them back in there, they'll never shake that reputation. Or do you just have to, if you're Chris Ray, take the order and go? Chris Ray answers to the attorney general. But the first thing I would have done if I was director, I would have said, attorney general, the fact of the matter is that will politicize the FBI, put together a special team of other investigators. Director Mueller did that when he did the investigation of the Trump allegations as well. It wasn't the FBI running that investigation. It was Director Mueller. They could have done the exact same thing. Chris Ray failed to push back, and that's why the FBI is now suffering with the reputation of being very liberal or giving leeway to the Democrats, but going after Republicans. Hey, thanks so much, uh, John Yannarelli. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. Uh, we have a lot too many cases to unwind, but hopefully you'll push it all forward. I absolutely will. Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 408 7669 Have a great Thanksgiving. When we come back, your phone calls. And then at the bottom of the hour, we welcome in Harris Faulkner. Busy day. Thank, Thanks so much for being here. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Right now, at this moment, there is no need to change anything that you're doing on a day-by-day -day basis. People should not be walking around with masks. If one mask is good, two masks are better. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. Where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. Then it became clear that we were in real trouble. When was because that? Around when was that? Well, that was probably towards the middle to end of January. The American people should not be worried or frightened by this. It's a very, very low risk to the United States. All over the place, detrimental to the health of the country. Depending on the question or the questioner, the network they were on, that's how different his answer would be. This guy was doing policy by interview. Ryan in Arizona. Hey, Ryan. 
Hey, Brian, thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. No problem. Uh, yeah, you know, you were talking earlier about the political nature of those late night guys, and this latest bit from Fauci is, is really the truth. You know, I was really enjoying the apolitical hosts who are putting out information out there straight, observational, funny, clever, witty humor that didn't have to rely on the ridiculous crutch of politics. Everything spewing out of their mouths was politics like Colbert and Kimmel and all that garbage. And I mean, there were people like David Spade and Joel McHale who just had genuinely funny material out there. I love to tune into those shows. I, I could really use the break from politics uh, You know, when you tune in there. You can't even get away from politics while watching sports anymore. So I used to really enjoy the ones who went out of their way to not go into those political stories. And the Fauci thing is a good example. You know, Spade's show never covered Fauci, never covered those floods didn't cover anything with Biden or any of that ridiculousness, nor did they feel the need to bash Trump with every word coming out of their mouths. And, of course, those shows go off the air because that's not what the liberal media elite wants to see out there. That's not what those decision makers want to see and want to hear. So those shows get panned off the air so Kimmel and Colbert and those other pinheads can suck up their, their liberal echo chamber audience members. It's just really disheartening. Well, a couple of really things. Some of those you know Jimmy shows. Fallon uh, stays – you know, he goes to the left or nothing – and, you know, Jay Leno, who was an equal opportunity offender, oh, yeah. uh, Jay Leno, had, ratings would double what uh, Jimmy Fallon's were. And there's no doubt about it. If you once in a while would open up on Biden and talk about his absent-mindedness, his, his, his statements that contradict him, they'll walk back the next day or hours later by his staff. The fact is he uh, shaking somebody's uh, invisible person's hand, calling for a deceased congresswoman in the middle of a press conference not knowing how to leave, falling up the stairs. I mean, if you're not making fun of that like you were Gerald Ford, then you're just not doing your job as a comedian. That's all That's all rich fodder to be gathered up by those comedians and to, to let people know about. But there was even people who chose not to take that low road. Uh, you know, there, there was people who chose not to go after that as their source yeah. of comedy. There, there are other bits of comedy and other sources of comedy out there, and some people simply don't want to acknowledge it. And that's really frustrating, you know? Go, go get him, Ryan. John in San Diego. Hey, John. Brian, thank you for taking my call. I love your show. Ever since Rush passed away, you've filled three hours of my day. For, thank that you. I used to listen with him. Listen. Expectations for the election were way too high, all the way up to the election. I was telling my wife, I wish they would shut up and just let the election roll. And we're actually in a better shape than 2018 with the Democrats as far as we have power in the House. We have real scandals that has legs, and we're not as bad off in the Senate. That's all I had to say. Happy Thanksgiving. Back at you. And by the way, we thought Saudi Arabia winning yesterday over Argentina was big news, and it is. But almost as big this, Japan has just stunned four-time World Cup champion Germany 2-1. to one. Now, just because you lose your first match doesn't mean you're out. The first two teams advance, but it made it a lot harder uh, to do it. they got to run the table now. So game on. The world is catching up. Yesterday, France crushed Australia. They went up one nothing, and I thought, here goes another upset. Australia was just too good. Denmark against, uh, we'll see, uh, Denmark against Tunisia, Mexico against Poland. Both of those games ended in a scoreless tie. So believe it or not, ties can be entertaining, and there's certainly something that both teams go for. Rather than have no points, you get one point. That's why the U.S. on Friday, for people that say that they can't beat England, are you watching this tournament? 
They got international players starting on the top clubs around the world for the first time ever. The problem is they're young and haven't played together much. I don't think they're the fittest team in the league uh, in the in the uh, World Cup, so that's a little bit of an issue too. But we'll see how that goes. MLS season is just coming to an end. Overall, about 36 players from the MLS are in the World Cup. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Harris Faulkner. And then, um, are we doing a simulcast with Harris? Next hour. Okay, good. So this will be an interview with Harris. And then we're going to be on her show in a different hour today. A lot going on with Harris Faulkner. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. show like no other is Brian Kilmeade. Hello, this is Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. 1-866-408-7669. Uh, we're going to take your calls in about 10 minutes, but right now it's time to bring in Harris Faulkner. Anchor the Faulkner, uh, Faulkner Focus, host of Outnumbered and best-selling author. And now her book is now best-selling, uh, Faith Still Moves Mountains, Miraculous Stories, of the healing power of prayer. Harris, welcome. Thank you so very much. Just hearing that we are going to get to talk is amazing. I, I always love talking to you, Brian. You've got such an understanding of how faith can move mountains in our lives. And so thank you for having me on today. And I'm in Arizona. I've been talking to a lot of people about this book because I'm down here with family. And everybody always asks, when you guys simultcast with Brian Kilmeade, I'm like, wait, can we stay on the book for a second? Uh, yeah, we do it. We, <laughs> we work it out. How we do that? So we got to do that again soon when I'm back. Yeah, we gotta, we share signals and we share Fox Nation too. So we're actually tricasting. If uh, I didn't even know that. Yes, I was keeping it from you. But yeah, they stream the they stream the radio shows on on Fox Nation. So wow. anytime we do that, yeah. So it's a lot of exposure. But uh, and Harris, your show is wildly successful. First off, how did you survive Hollywood? Uh, Florida and the Patriot Awards. Oh my gosh, with such a smile on my face. And I got to tell you, running into people who watch Fox News and understand what we do in terms of truth telling is such a joy because, Brian, you know that uh, the legacy media right now are drinking something strong. And I don't think it's Kool Aid anymore. I think they're putting other stuff in it. Because, I, was, I mean, we're learning now how long it took some of the networks to admit that there was a laptop with Hunter Biden. And, and this whole thing with Dr. Fauci about how he thinks they didn't get the messaging right about COVID. Talk about being late on arrival. What is he? How can he even say that with a straight face? I want you to hear, before we get into the book, just a little bit from Anthony Fauci. They, yeah, we put this montage today on Fox and Friends. You talk about the reason why our head was spinning and we're trying to say, what exactly are we going through with this pandemic? What exactly is the danger here? What exactly is yeah. the risk? Can we go in? What Can we, we go out? What are we going to do next? Listen, listen to, question. Yeah, listen to this, Harris. This will be a throwback to a, to a worse time. Listen. To the extent possible, don't travel, don't congregate together. I don't think we ever should ever shake hands ever again. I think the idea of taking masks off 
in my mind, is, is really not something we should even be considering. It is, as we've said, a pandemic and an outbreak of the unvaccinated. If you are trying to, do, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. I mean, come on. And we didn't even wear the part where he said this, this, this virus is not going to be a problem here. And don't wear a mask, he told 60 Minutes. It'll give you a false sense of security. And then he says, wear two masks. Look, I, I, I kind of chuckle here because when he forecasts that no one will ever want to shake his hand, <laughs> yeah. when he says people shouldn't be shaking hands, I think he was looking into his own future. Because I, I think he'd be hard-pressed for en masse people to say, thank you, Dr. Fauci. Um, they, they may thank him for the science that he does know, because he is a bright guy. My husband interviewed him 30 years ago. He was doing basically the same job, just at a lower level. So, I mean, he clearly has a background in this sort of thing. But, boy, he, he got that bug on TV. And he spent far more time on television telling us what we should be doing rather than studying the science and telling us what we should be doing based on the science yeah. and not based on just his opinion. Yeah, and he, look, he loved the camera. He may be responsible for some people being harmed in the pandemic more so than just the gap in learning because he supported those lockdowns. I mean, he couldn't call for them, but he knew that by supporting them tacitly, he supported the CDC and all of that. And like a cabal, they they grouped together and said, lock everything down. Right. So now I just have to ask if I could talk with him. I would love to. Um, what is next for us? Are we in a pandem pandemic or not? Is he going to correct the president and say that we're still in a pandemic, even though Biden thinks we're not? Like, where are we right now, and why should we listen to any of them? Now, we've requested to sit down with him many times. Look, I'm, I know it can be tough. Ask Senator Manchin. But, Brian, you and I go after the truth, and we don't apologize for that to anybody. So, Dr. Fauci, I I'm going to pray on this for a bit because I, I do think that with him leading so many people— it's dangerous for him to get the answers wrong. Well, it's great that great for America that he's retiring, uh, and I think it just shows also yeah, he, he is political. Talking. I know. Well, yesterday was just a mess. At the end, did you hear what happened at the end of the press conference? Oh, I, I now look. I'm I'm in Arizona talking to everybody. You think I'm not watching the news? Right. So <laughs> it, yeah, with with Kareem. Well, it's the only French I speak. Jean Pierre. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, what was that? Made no sense because the question was about the origins of the virus. You let him answer. Has no reflection on you or President Biden. You had no business oh, interrupting does. people. So I want to talk to you. How long it took them to get the information out, just real quickly, that the president had, in fact, asked China's leader, Xi, about COVID origins. That came out in the last 48 hours. Come on, that meeting was weeks ago now. And they told us that they weren't sure coming out of the White House that they talked about it. And now they say they did. Why? Because we started asking about the origins with Fauci anyway. And guess what? The Republicans, the Republican day. House is going to pursue it. And, and by the way, I'm sure China Wait. might have a different take on whether that was brought up or not, because they tend to push back oh, on the readouts. Brilliant, Brian. So, Harris, you, your book is called Faith Still Moves Mountains. You broke this up into... Um, Restoration, perseverance, healing, purpose, and um, uh, healing and purpose. 
So why, why did you break it up this way? You wanted to put it into categories so people know what to expect? I want people to start in whatever season they're in. And sometimes people read the book from beginning to end, and sometimes they'll read the table of contents and they'll say, but I have this specific thing going on in my life. I've just lost someone I love. I'm, I've just been given a diagnosis of a deadly disease, whatever it is. And so by breaking the book up, if you are looking to be lifted, if you need healing, if you need to be rescued, if you need to find out what the purpose is, what I call the divine assignment is on your life from God, then you can go right there. And to further that, I mean, I would prefer you read it from the beginning because that first chapter called Amen, that'll rock your world. That's what I'm hearing from people, that, that it, it creates an excitement about prayer. And, and we know how powerful prayer can be, but Brian, we all have seasons in our lives where we lean out, where we're hurting so much or we're dismayed, and we don't know if God hears our prayer. Is there so a science right behind everybody it? Else. Is there he a science behind prayer? prayer? There is a science behind prayer. And Gallup, in fact, took such an interest in, in the late 1940s about, well, why is it that certain people have success through the biggest trials, but their greatest success is their hope. How do they keep the hope? So the the scientific nature of how the brain works with hope, the serotonin and all of that, is real. And so how do you tap into that? Well, it's an everlasting source. It's always there. You lean into God and he leans into you. And so there's a section in the book right in the center. It's a glossy insert and it has topics. And if you are lamenting, if your heart is sorrowful right now, there's a very short original prayer with a notation of the scripture. So you can even read deeper in the Bible and you can start there. And remember, you need a place, a time, a quiet purposeful moment for you and the Lord every day. It doesn't have to be an hour. You don't need perfect words. You can start with those glossy insert prayers just to kind of get the topic going, whatever it is with you. Start right now. And and don't wait for the storm to start praying. you got to pray before the storm. You need a relationship with the Lord before things start to go south. And they go that way for all of us because we live in a human world. And people are making different choices all around us. And we want to survive everybody else's choices sometimes. But we also know that, you know, there's an anointing on all of us when we lean into God to light the way for others. We don't have to prophesize, but when others see us get through tough things, that may be all they need to keep going. Faith still moves mountains. What Gallup found was since the 1940s, we're losing our belief in God and that he intervenes in our lives. We, we got to step back and we, and we got to remember what else works like this. Is there someone, something? No. The Lord works in your life because it's based on love. I feel like I'm doing all the talking. No, but I mean, I'm listening to what you have to say because you did the, uh, the interviews that, uh, and brought these stories forward in your book. Yes. So, and, and for the most part, you're getting a lot of feedback from this, right? Yeah. So you know what I'm getting? And you mentioned Hollywood, Florida and the Patriot Awards. I'm getting immediate testimony. I'm getting more testimony from people and they are sharing with each other. And so what I've started to do at book signings and remember, I'm not called to prophesize. I, 
the Lord's divine assignment, and I write about this in the book, for my life is to be a witness and to tell other people's stories. Well, along the journey of writing this book and interviewing people for the book, and now being with people as they're reading it is, it makes you want to spontaneously pray. And so what I do now at the book signings is we hold hands. And I, I know Dr. Fauci probably wouldn't like the fact that we're touching each other. You'd be in trouble. But we are. We, we are. And we, we put our hands in the air and we form a prayer circle and we ask for a person's name. And people have tons of names and tons of things that they want. And it's a quick prayer together. And it's so powerful. And by the way, when they shut down the churches and the places of worship and gathering, they put a cap on peace. And look how crazy the world got. See, we're not just praying for ourselves, Brian. We're praying for everybody else, too. In those moments with God, you're taking a moment to show him that his flock is mighty, mightier than the devil. And the devil's at work all the time. So, I I mean, I consider this to be a journey. I'm collecting more testimony to share with others along the way, too. The book gets the conversation started. And I just want to say something about the stories. You mentioned people I interviewed. I did not know how much General George S. Patton prayed and that he had a chaplain with him. And, And to win the Battle of the Bulge, they needed a mighty prayer. Well, you know that the war that he fought and led in as a general changed the world, Brian. I interview his grandson, Benjamin Patton. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, the legacy of faith that's there as well from probably unexpected sources. Ernestine fought in the 2019 Twister outbreak in Lee County, Alabama. You remember, we covered it on Fox. Former President Trump went to Lee County. He held hands with people and hugged them and said, this is so devastating and wanted to meet the people who survived. Right. Ernestine was inside her prayer closet. Her house, she was in her 80s. Her house was torn down to its foundation, as were many others in Lee County. She was praying, thank you, God. Thank you for the life that you have given me before the storm. Thank you if it is your will, God. Thank you. Gratitude if there's more of that life. And then after the storm, when the emergency medical crews came and they were trying to pick her up, she had broken her hip in a storm, but she was still praying and saying, Mm -hmm. you brought me through. Thank you, Lord. So much gratitude. We have to pray before the storm, always during the storms, the figurative. And the literal ones. Pick it up. Uh, and then faith, after the storm. Right. Faith still moves mountains. Uh, miraculous stories of the healing power of prayer. As we get ready for the holidays, a perfect book to pick up. Harris, thanks so much. And I look forward to seeing you back in studio when you get back after the break. Monday. God bless you. Faith still moves mountains. Go get him, Harris. Thanks so much. When we come back, we'll take your calls. one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you'll know, it's Brian Kilmeade. A 50-50 Senate slows everything down, so it makes a big difference to us. So from Schubert's point of view, Herschel's a nightmare for his desire to change America. From my point of view, he's saving America. And that is Senator Lizzie Graham with Ted Cruz, Brian Kemp, all helping 
Uh, Herschel Walker get across the finish line. He was within 30,000 votes of Warnock. And no one got 50%, so it was time to do it again. So Warnock didn't get 50%. They had the runoff, and he overcame Purdue and beat him by two points. And, and, and I think Purdue was percentage points away from getting 50%. So he asked him for the seat. So now you got to figure that Herschel has got to do one thing. He's got to gain an independence. That's the main thing was lacking. He was losing by 11 points with independence. Republicans traditionally have won independence in Georgia. And that's why it's so important in the next couple of weeks. If you don't need a mansion in cinema, all hell is going to break loose in the Senate this because they know they're going to lose the Senate. So I don't think they'll blow up the filibuster, but they'll try to jam everything else through. Terry, listen on WIBX in Utica. Hey, Terry. How are you, Brian? Brian, uh, something on masks. Uh, you know, does it say on the mask germ and COVID proof? I don't think so. Nope. We can breathe, we can breathe through them. What makes you think that it stops a damn thing? It doesn't. And that's total baloney, and it's just a way to make people toe the line. And like when they went and put the Jews through the gas chambers, the same type of scenario. You know what I mean? Well, I would say that's a little bit severe, but I, in other words, telling people to do it, ridiculing them for not doing it is not the way we roll in America. This, that's why the pushback was so great. Now they're considering recommending to all of us that we wear masks. Forget it. Done. We're not doing it. If you're going to make me wear a mask, get on a plane, I'm not getting on the plane. Simple as that. I'm driving everywhere. And I'll just go on the one airline that does not require that. No more masks ever. That's never going to happen again. Plus, they don't work, and we found out that later. Remember, paper mask. Just wear a mask. That's fine. Get a mask. We get a mask. Say, oh, by the way, those don't work. Those don't work, but they might help a little bit. Might help a little bit. What are you talking about might help a little bit? He was just a nightmare, just terrible. And even though, and he was not willing to even show any humility along the way. Yesterday is just, uh, here he is, uh, again, leaving the way he started. Cut 10. It's really a great pleasure to be back here with you again, albeit, I believe, for the last time. But as Kareen said, I'm going to spend the next just couple of minutes talking to you about the importance of getting an updated booster vaccine as we enter into the holiday season and the colder weeks and months of the late fall and early winter. This is about 10% of the country has gotten the booster shot. We watched him take four. I think Biden's up to five. Mysteriously, he missed some bally dinner with all these world leaders you thought was so important to be to. And they said, I think he's, I think he might have COVID again because he just got exposed to it. Thankfully, he didn't. At his age, it's extremely dangerous with his previous strokes. But they just keep on doing it. They keep on getting shots. They keep on getting it. And when you say, why do you keep getting it if you get the vaccine? Well, it's not. The symptoms aren't nearly as bad. Really, Dr. Fauci? I think you're, you're, your virus had three weeks, and then beginning of it, you took a therapeutic, and then you got it back again. That's a little bit of an issue, wouldn't you think? Thanks for listening to the Brian Kill Me Show. Keep it here. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kill Me Show. We get closer and closer to Thanksgiving. We're outside our office. They're getting ready for the big parade that's got to be going right down Sixth Avenue. If you know anyone, anyone at Fox at 1211 6th Avenue, be really nice to them today and see if you can stare out their window and watch the parade from the protection of our walls. Because we have our big tree out there that's protected now. We have walls, so we have no more incidents. Uh, Julie Banderas is going to be hosting for uh, Harris Faulkner today on Faulkner Focus. 
She's going to be doing a simulcast with us. We're going to share signals as well as Fox Nation. Bottom of the hour, Jamie Lissau will be here, actor and comedian. We're going to go over the issues that matter most heading up after this mid, you know, after the midterms. Now we get set for the runoffs. And then we're going to set for 2024. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. My sense is that Warnock probably wins. The polling seems to suggest that the polling is not very good, though. There's just a greater enthusiasm for him than the GOP right now. If Herschel Walker wins, Brian Kemp needs to get a lot of credit for it, given his ground game effort. Yeah, we'll have to see about that. It's not over. The Georgia runoff. Herschel trails Warnock by four. Can his new best friend and one of the nation's most successful governors, Brian Kemp, show him a path to victory? I say yes. Number two. I think what what I've accomplished in my 54 years at the NIH, although COVID is really, really very important, it is a fragment of the total 40 years that I've been doing it. No, it's all people are going to remember. The Fauci farewell, chaotic exit like his chaotic COVID reign, was an epic fail. And judging by his actions and words, he seems to have forgotten all his thuggish ways and wrong information along the way. But we have not forgotten. Number one. When we take power, we'll start the investigation. We'll look at every order, we'll look at every means of what he has done. He has lied to the American public. This investigation could lead to an impeachment inquiry. Yeah, that is Kevin McCarthy at the border yesterday, the border wars. McCarthy displays his fight for the border while the White House calls it a stunt. Really? I call it responsible. And as one Democratic senator seems to agree, at least. Meanwhile, the GOP picks up another House seat and McCarthy struggles to secure enough votes for Speaker and getting the gavel. Come on, guys, there's nobody else. Steve Scalise doesn't want it, says he's not going to take it. So it is all about Kevin McCarthy. Who else has the votes? Andy Biggs doesn't have it. Uh, certainly Matt Gates doesn't have it. Uh, Congressman Good doesn't have it. So the other three, I'm not sure who they are. Probably Freedom Caucus members, respected. But you got to be practical at some point. The Freedom Caucus has to realize they don't control the caucus. There's moderates there that got elected only because they were moderates in New York and California, or you're not in the majority. You have to learn to respect people, and I think McCarthy has earned it. Along the way. And I thought yesterday going down to the border showed his priority. Here's Jonathan Swan on special report last night. And he talked about a willingness to solve and attack a problem at least. Cut for it. Probably the most unifying issue for Republicans across the conference. Um, you're right, Kevin McCarthy does have a problem on his right flank. He's trying to become Speaker. He doesn't have the votes right now. And he's looking for issues that can appeal to them, but also uh, not going to alienate. Uh, there, remember, there are many moderates in his conference as well, including some newly elected ones. But look, the border numbers started to rise uh, precipitously after Joe Biden took office. That's just a fact. Um, and they hit record highs. Uh, and this is a problem that the administration has not been able to solve. So, yes, it's very fertile ground, but it's also a unifying issue for Republicans and Kevin McCarthy. It does need to be seen through the context of him trying to get the votes to become Speaker. Yeah, and he's doing it at the border, but it has to be solved. And, and listen, I'm encouraged, and I've asked this along the way. Where was General Kelly? It's General Kelly. Where was uh, uh, Senator Kelly for the last two years when he took office from John McCain in the special election and Martha McSally got beaten. So where was he? Why wasn't he at the border? A military guy, astronaut, you would think he'd put it all aside to say, I, I represent the people of Arizona. Outside Texas, we had the biggest border with uh, Mexico. Why not stand up? Well, yesterday he did. And here's his quote. When asked, does his party understand the danger at the border? He says this, 
Absolutely not. Not even close. When I first got to Washington, it didn't take me long to realize that there are a lot of Democrats who don't understand our southern border and a lot of Republicans who just want to talk about it, Not don't necessarily want to do anything about it, just want to use it politically. So my approach has been to the extent that we can to make progress in securing it. Look, most Republicans I know want to secure the border. In fact, every single one I've ever talked to, if you want to talk about where the rubber might hit the road about the amnesty here. And the Dreamer Act. That's where it gets complicated. But if you secure the border, you give two years to secure the border and you do it and you have Kevin McCarthy go down there with Steve Scalise and Andy Biggs and whoever else that you want and say, yeah, it's probably as good as it can do. And I see Mexico's put 20,000 Marines back on their southern border. Then you could talk about expanding consulates to get asylum seekers into jobs. Then you could talk about work visas to get more people uh, into our workforce from the farms to uh, Silicon Valley, getting our first round draft picks that we train at Stanford and Harvard and get them to stay here rather than go back home if we are actually training them and they want to stay. Right now it's too hard for them to stay. There's all these things that could be done if you can secure the border. Until you do, they can't. There's not one Republican I know who does not think the border is a problem. And I cannot believe there are Democrats out there that aren't speaking up about it. That's, to me, the most astounding. But if Kelly is consistent, if Kelly will go on camera, if Kelly will go on the Sunday shows like Henry Cuellar and just flat out say the administration won't pay attention, we will, then he'll have some company. Maybe Senator Bennett and some other so-called moderates. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to do a simulcast shortly. Don't forget, briankilmeade.com. Find out how to get tickets to Newark, New Jersey, New Jersey Performing Arts, uh, the America Great from the Start, briankilmeade.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're going to be joined to go to the Faulkner Focus in a matter of moments. Keep in mind, I'm filling in for Jesse tonight at 7, so watch that. And go to briankilmead.com, and you'll have a chance to get tickets to New Jersey Performing Arts Center. I started to say, I look at all five of my history books, you know, as well as uh, sports, and we go through a motivational, inspirational, a patriotic evening that is flat-out fun. And I'm going to have Carly Shimkus there. I'm going to have... I'm going to have Rachel Campos Duffy is going to be there, and this guy named Pete Hegseth, Pete Hegseth will also be signing his book. I'll be signing The President and Freedom Fighter, which is now in paperback, which has got brand new information in it. You can also catch the special if you want to see what the book's about on Fox Nation. We shot it over the course of six months. Uh, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, The Battle to Save America's Soul. And right now, Julie Banderas is filling in for Harris Faulkner. And when they're, uh, when we're done saying we don't go right to the bottom of the hour. I'll be able to squeeze in some calls so you can get online. I think four lines are full, one 408 7669 So I got one or two still open. I'm also looking at this one story. It turns out China's not only having trouble with their zero COVID policy, they're also having problems with their extreme conditions. There was a huge riot at an Apple facility, first story in Drudge right now, where these guys and these women have been unable to leave. They've been making them stay in the barracks. And they overcame the guards, and because there's more of them, uh, because of their jail-like conditions. So sooner or later, the people who are in terrible conditions are going to rise up, even if you have a powerful leader that wants to kill everybody or enslave anyone that speaks up. And we'll be talking about that. Also going to be talking about uh, Kevin McCarthy's quest to be speaker. And now Anthony Fauci won't go away. So let's dip in and let's listen together, and then we'll welcome, talk to Julie. National Security Spokesman John Kirby dodging the question after the president sat down with G. So the question was, did the president bring up the origins of COVID in his meeting? The president has been very clear that uh, we need 
China to be as transparent uh, as possible when it comes to helping the world understand how COVID started and uh, how it advanced the way it did. So certainly it was an it was an issue. But yesterday, a White House official approached several outlets, including Fox, claiming the president did in fact raise COVID origins and pressed G for transparency. Now, the chief White House medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, also spoke yesterday at what is expected to be his final White House briefing before his retirement next month. And here is what happened. When reporters tried, they actually dared to question him on the origins of the virus. We have a process here. I'm not calling out on people who yell. She has a valid question. She's asking about the origin of COVID. I hear the question. Dr. Fauci is the best person I, to answer. I that. hear your question, but we're not doing this the way you want it. This is a disrespect. It is. I'm done. Simon, I'm done. I'm Simon, I'm done. I'm done with you right now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, Fox and Friends co-host and host of One Nation, one of my favorite shows I appear on with Brian Kilmeade, simulcasting on his radio show. Great. I get to be on two days in a row. It's I love this. Uh, can you believe now? I know you and I have a hard time telling people how we really feel. But when you watch that exchange, first of all, I never saw anybody yelling. And what is wrong with addressing the origin of covid? Because we never heard Dr. Fauci do that once in the entire pandemic. And they had a script of people to call on. I would imagine they said to him, hey, what oh, do you really? want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? And when they had this script of people to call on, they realized that one of the questions was not origins of COVID virus. They wanted non-controversial, big salute to Anthony Fauci and his wonderful career that lasted about 30 years too long. And instead of getting that, they got someone who yelled out the question that we really want answered. Have you changed your position on the origins of the virus? Remember, Tom Cotton was a lone voice on that, then joined by President Trump on that. Then they started banning flights. You know who pushed back every step of the way? Anthony Fauci. You know who said don't wear a mask? Anthony Fauci. You know who said the pandemic won't be a problem here in January? Anthony Fauci. You know who told us to never watch, wash our shake hands again? Anthony Fauci. You know who told us last year, last December, don't get together with your family? For the second year in a row, Anthony Fauci. And now he wants to go out for, with a big wet kiss from the American public? Forget mm -hmm. it. He's been a disaster for the country, and he lacks any humility gene or cell in his body to admit he's been wrong over and over again. That that White House press, uh, press briefing was an absolute disaster. I mean, if you can't accept honest questions from reporters, then why hold those briefings in the, in the beginning? And Dr. Fauci, let's not forget, okay, he talked about how if you didn't believe me, you didn't believe in science. Well, you know what I believe is that at the very beginning, we got mixed messaging from Dr. Fauci, who was supposed to be science, right? Remember at the very beginning when he told everybody masks don't work? And now he's saying that the pandemic is to blame on the unvaccinated? Um, um, I mean, he contradicts himself. He, we have that sound of Fauci saying, making these remarks. Let's play it and then you can react. If you look at the data, they are just profoundly striking of the curves of death and hospitalization of unvaccinated versus vaccinated versus vaccinated and boosted. So there is a relatively smaller difference in vaccinated and unboosted versus vaccinated plus boosted. That doesn't mean you shouldn't get boosted, but the real danger is in the people who have not been vaccinated. So that's where we expect if we're going to see a problem this winter, it's going to be among those people. 
So it's okay for him to go up there and continue his narrative, but then when questioned by reporters on contradictions, he refuses to answer and then gets yelled at by the White House press secretary. I don't even understand what the point of that news conference was or that press conference. Yeah, it was to say goodbye and to say Anthony Fauci, hero to many, but not to me and not to anybody that wants to get instructions how to live their life. People are still rattled to the core. Kids have still been, for, been unable to catch up to their schoolwork because he kept the schools locked down too much. Do you know the whole six feet apart thing was from 1918? Do you know he said we should say six feet apart, which prevented classrooms from being full? And then when they realized six feet meant nothing, even though uh, there was a song about it, six feet meant nothing. They go, okay, you can go back to class. He was listening to the teachers' unions rather than being the scientists. Yeah. As Mike Pence said in his book, when he was in those meetings and he stayed in his lane, he was fine. But when he was put in head of COVID task force for this administration, that's when the wheels came off. We lost more people after the vaccine came out under Joe Biden than we did with Donald Trump. And we didn't even know what hit us because China wouldn't tell us. And they still have not told us. And now we find out that yeah. the president did bring it up to China, to Chinese President Xi, but they didn't really resolve anything. Why would you tell me that two weeks later? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's more mixed messaging. I got to move on to another topic. Um, reaction is pouring in after the USA uh, men's soccer coach wore this shirt at the World Cup. Uh, it simply is reading states. Okay, it's supposed to say United States. He's trying to make a point. There's a new Fox opinion piece which says that it speaks volumes about a nation divided, quote, playing into that on the world's biggest stage in front of a global audience feels like we lost before we even stepped on the pitch. It feels downright un-American. I mean, Brian, the World Cup is supposed to be a chance for countries from around the world, hence World Cup, to come together for a common goal every four years and and this USA head coach turns his back on his country wearing that despicable T-shirt, uh, not united, no red, white and blue, no eagles, no flag, no nothing. It's as sterile as sterile can be. Critics are calling it appalling. I call it disgusting. Yeah, I don't know whose decision it was, if it's Greg Barhalter, who was a national team player, now the coach, or if it was Nike. You know, Nike has pays a lot of money. Uh, for this moment on the world stage. And when Nike does that, they say, hey, listen, we need you to wear X, Y, and Z. So they say it looks like a black, that looks like a black and white shirt or a dark blue and, and white with a yeah. white uh, logo on it that says states. Now, Harold Ford, I say this in the, in the green room last night getting ready for the five, and Harold Ford goes, I think it looks cool. I don't know if they were just trying to get a look because I've never seen the word states ever mm -hmm. in anything ever, but especially at a time in which it was a hard enough time getting these athletes to stop kneeling on the world stage. You know, half the women take a knee uh, up until recently, the women's World Cup team. So to get them standing is one thing. Can we at least get the red, white, and blue and United States there? I would thought Nike would be a little bit more cognizant of that, knowing they had their CEO come out with a statement about a year ago and said, we're really a Chinese company which is, as I paraphrase, not a great look if you want to sell in America, but although they have three billion people that could be potential partners. So yeah, I would like an explanation on that. And I would love to see red, white, and blue out there. But at the very least, I'm not saying it's anti-American. I'm saying it's easy to digest it that way. And that's why I looked at it. I was not happy about it. My sense is though, they give the coach this shirt. They tell him to wear the shirt. I don't necessarily think he says, take the United off and I'll wear it on the sideline. Most importantly, the bigger news is Japan just beat Germany, another monster upset, and I bet Pierce Morgan, 
$5,000 to go to charity that the U.S. will tie or beat England on Friday. So that is another reason why millions of people should watch. Wow. $5,000, huh? Well, I wanted $1,000, and he <laughs> wants $5,000 because he's so rich, and he, plus he, he, traffics, in, uh, he traffics in pounds. You're so I'm not really sure what the conversion is. Right. I mean, and you don't get paid overtime. So, I mean, Time and a half. with the hours that you work, I mean, you would be able to pay that off if only you could get that overtime in. But right. I'm sorry. I'm still I hope working you win. on it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Brian. I love you. I'll All talk right. to you later. Back thank at you. you, Julie. And Julie was just here uh, a short time ago, just about a day ago, uh, helping out, getting ready for Outnumbered. Before she did that, she stopped by here. Alex, listen on WABC. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call about the shooting that happened last night in Virginia. It was, it's really sad, but I think it's a result of two problems facing this country. And both sides are refusing to acknowledge one of the problems. The first problem is the mental health crisis that's facing this country. And I think it's a result of the Democrats pushing for education where everyone's a victim and nobody's responsible for anything. Because then you, have a, you end up having a very depressed life. And the Democrats are refusing to acknowledge this mental health crisis. And I think the other side of it right. is... This Maybe. You know, the, the thing is, Alex, we just got to find out more. We have no idea what this guy, this manager was doing, shooting up everyone in a Walmart. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I know this is going to be shocking to you, but that not everything is like Fox and Friends. Right? <laughs> what, 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 do what do you mean? What do you mean by do that? You just wake up and wing it, huh? Uh, you know, just rely on rely on Ducey's <laughs> charm and Ainsley's beauty. Can I, can I just say something? You yes. have never seen Fox and Friends. I never have. So you have no idea. We even have a morning show. I actually never saw it, and I hosted it once. Right. Yeah. And you hated. You complained the whole time. It was the worst experience of my life. Right. You're like, when's this gonna end? That's not a good way to say wake up, America. Yes. It <laughs> it was the you're, worst anti morning show host. Yeah, one of the bosses at Fox said that I I looked like a child at a funeral. <laughs> so they gave his own show at night. So that's a little of my last appearance on Gutfeld. Jamie goes on Gutfeld all the time. We don't tape it though, so we yeah. can't bring it back. Jamie Lissau is here. He's an actor and comedian. Would you prefer to say comedian actor? What would you? Be? You know, it's funny. I think I'm more of a comedian, but maybe I wish I was more of an actor. Can you act different than you are? Or I mean, do you, when you act, are you just Jamie acting, or can you can you act like? Um, can you act very emotional? Can you act very sensitive? Because in real life, you're not. I'll tell you the truth, man. On The Real Rob Show, which I'm on on Netflix, the first season was just me being, being you. myself. It was like this really dumb guy that did, wasn't very good at stuff. And every morning, they'd hand me a script, and it would just say, be yourself. <laughs> and, <laughs> but then in season two, it got serious. Like, um... Haley Duff, Hillary Duff's uh, sister, was my girlfriend, and we had some serious stuff. There's like a pregnancy, and there was like some cheating, and I had to I had to cry a couple times. You did, and I just channeled my just my own relationship, <laughs> and I was able to do it. You I, were. I love. So it. let me ask them: When you took the job, you're like, "Oh, he's funny. Jamie would be perfect." Did they even ask you if you're capable of crying and showing emotion? They didn't even ask me if I was capable of acting. When I got that job. <laughs> is this true? Yes, it was such a flu. Did I never tell you? No, you never told me. This is crazy. I was a writer on this show called Real Rob on Netflix. We hadn't shot it yet. I'm just a writer. I helped create it and I wrote it and these other people were going to act in it. And so I was going to get a tiny part where I played Rob Schneider's opening act on the road. Uh, the 11th hour, I don't even know if that's a real phrase. Is that a phrase people it, say? It, I use it. At the last minute. 
they, I go, we don't need these scenes where I open for Rob. It just doesn't move the story forward. We don't need them. And so I cut myself out of the show for the good of the show. But I was like kind of depressed. I go, man, I took away my only acting thing. And so whatever. So now I'm just a writer. And the, I think it was the day before shooting, the guy playing Rob's assistant, I think it was like Paul Giamatti's brother is an actor. He gets a big movie. He's go, he disappears. We can't blame him. We were paying like not very much. It was like a so small- Haley Duff and the brother of Paul Giamatti. Yeah. So no, you can't get them, but you can get them members of their family. Yeah. So <laughs> you can't get the big stars. That's you right. You can get siblings. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Right. Um, we had Walt Farrell. Can't get Alec Baldwin. You can get Steven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So true. And um, so I w- I swear. This sounds like a joke, but it's not. Rob Schneider and his wife are sitting at the table going, who are we going to get to play my assistant? And as they're saying this, I'm bringing them both tea. Because I'm like a guy that helps out a lot. Like if I'm at your house, I'll make it. And so I'm literally serving them tea. And he's like, who could be my assistant? And I go, is your tea okay? Do you want anything with it? And he goes, hey, sit down and read for this part. And I go, okay. So I sit down and read for the part. And they go, all right, change the guy's name to Jamie. You're in two seasons every episode of the show. And? And just no, and no, no time to be and nervous. You loved it. You loved it. I, I loved it. It was amazing. But Jamie, can I just say one I thing? I start opposite Rick Schneider, Rob's brother. <laughs> so can I just say one thing, Jamie? Yeah. That happens to you again. Mm-hmm. They come up to you. They say, we want you to be in this show. Yeah. You say, okay, this is a number to my, my, my uh, staff, my agent. Yeah. If the money's okay, mm-hmm. I'll consider it. You know where to reach me. That's right. Have even, you tried that? And then sometimes I'll go, even if the money's not, I'll say as I leave. You'll I'll just you leave it. it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Right. I do have people now that they they help save you me from people? myself. Really? So you said yes to this, and then your people go, "What did you just say yes to?" And you got no pay increase. I did had didn't have people at the time. Right now you do. You know, as comedian, you're like my auto reply on my email used to be, "I'll take it." <laughs> Whatever they offer me, yeah. I'll take it all. And then I had to get some uh, people around me that that as things got better, sort of, uh, which is great. Yeah. And how do you feel about that? It's the, it is. Do you feel not worthy almost like when they say, listen, where Jamie, we need to get in touch with you. The publicist need to get in touch with your manager. Yeah. You need to get in touch with your agent. Can you handle that? It, is, it has been the greatest. I am very anxious. I hate saying no to stuff. Yeah. I have a thing with my manager now where I go, this is driving me crazy. I go, we got like this offer. I want to take it. He's saying we shouldn't take I go, don't even tell me anymore. And so now I trust this man so completely that I'm not even involved in right. until it shows up on a Google calendar. And let me ask this. Has it been two or three years without any work? I mean, is that is, is he's turned down so much? At one point, are you going to challenge yeah. him? But dude, when we get this one gig, it's going to make up for everything. <laughs> you're poor. You're in a shelter. Dude, we're looking for one gig for a million dollars. It's been three years. Right. So far, no takers. So no, that's great. So then the next season happens. Yeah. You start reading the copy, and you go, "Oh my goodness, I I have to." Do you cheating, or are you being cheated on? I was being cheated on. Okay. Yeah. So are you sensitive? Yeah, I, and, and like I'm in an real idiot. life, you would probably be able to walk it off, right? Oh, I guess I'm. I guess we're breaking up. Yeah, yeah. But Jamie, the actor, has to show vulnerability. Yeah, and I'm so stupid that in the show, I got. There's a true story about an actress. I can't remember who it was, but she had her assistant get a breast augmentation surgery so that she could feel like what the recovery was. So she made this other person get this procedure so that she could see how the recovery was. The person didn't want. Ah, So ah, there's a true. I I think if we Googled it, we could find out. the. It was a famous actress. And so we did a thing where we... um, we uh, had he Rob had to get a vasectomy, and so he made me get a vasectomy so he could figure out if it was <laughs> bad or not. And so, 
I find out my girlfriend's pregnant. We're going through the whole thing, and we're all excited. And then, then someone reminds me I had a vasectomy. And it slowly sinks in that, like, this can't be my kid. I forgot I had this vasectomy. Also, in the episode, I was very high when I got it. <laughs> so that was part of it. I couldn't remember having it. You mean the actor, you? Yeah, the actor, just okay. the actor. All right. But, yeah, that's a true story, man. Like, um, oh, and season two, by the way, season one was independent. Where, like, Rob basically paid for everything. Season two, we were a Netflix original. It was a legit, wow. legit show. We, we somehow got them to do that. And now, too, do you done with it? We think we're done, but we actually own we own the show, and Netflix licensed it from us, and we get it back in two weeks, two months. So it's on Netflix for two more months. Then we get both seasons back, and we actually have written a season three already. So if someone wanted all three, it could happen. That's so interesting. I had no idea that you could even do that, air it, and then get it back. Yeah. That is... Are you thinking about a season three? I would love nothing would love more than... And this is a serious question. Acting out of your character, actors love it, but if people are really comedians that act as just a way to forward their fame and success, they yeah. don't love it. Where do you stand? Do you like acting out of your character? I, I love it so much. Do you really? It's my favorite thing well, in the whole world. Can you remove the people are looking at you and judging you as Jamie? And yeah. The, you it's, can. I love it so much. I like it almost more than real life. And you've life. never been trained? No, never been trained and just happened to fall into like, I might've told you last time, but we just did a movie. Everything I do, I feel like it, like if someone goes like, how do you get into TV and movie? Like the, my story doesn't, I can't tell you because it's so insane. What am I going to say? Serve tea to Rob Schneider? Like that's <laughs> exactly, what you do? Yeah. That is not the how to. Yeah. And then I, I ended up, I was writing a, Although uh, that would be a good scene. How you got the job. That would yeah. be like a Seinfeld thing would actually do that. Yes. Because you were an assistant. I basically you were helping was. Out. I was yeah. helping out. And then I just recently was similar thing. I just got a part in a movie that I might have told you about last time I was here. Same kind of thing. I was just writing this movie, and it starred uh, Adam Sandler's wife was the star. Rob Schneider was in it. John Cleese was in it. And we just happened to go to this dinner with John Cleese, who was my dad's favorite comedian and my favorite comedian. We really, like, joined, mm. like, forces on – and my dad died a long time ago, and I actually – I told Cleese, I don't know what happened, but he said something and I told him that story and he really, really liked hearing that that's what brought me and my dad together. You know, you don't like your parents' music. They don't like your music. Yeah. This was like, we agreed on this. And that night I get a call and they go, he goes, hey, Cleese wants you to do a scene in the movie. And I'm like, I had no, I wasn't acting. I wasn't being funny. I was, right. I just like told him the story. And so fast forward, I get to do two little scenes with John Cleese. And what was it like? Did you act as more like Jamie or did you have to leave your character? This is more like Jamie. Yeah. So that's part two when people go, how do you get in movies? I go, tell John Cleese your dad died. <laughs> and tell him. <laughs> All right. Uh, people are jotting this down at home. So, I mean, give him a second to catch up. Yeah. This is even One, my, two, my three. TED there talk. My master class. Right. It's a little short. You need another story. Yeah. Those are two very short stories. <laughs> TED talk should be 10 minutes, right? I don't know. Is that how long they I think are? it is. And you could probably tell jokes for the last two. Have you ever hey, done listen, a TED Talk? I've never done a TED okay. Talk. How long is a, a TED Talk? Eric knows everything. Uh, Eric, do you know how long a TED Talk is? Oh, it depends, like 10 minutes to an yeah, hour. Yeah, it's not yeah. long, right? That's the whole key key with it. Mm -hmm. Ted, okay. What does TED stand for? It's an acronym. I don't know. It doesn't know. mean for TED. It's not like TED Kennedy. It's what like, is TED? Who is TED? Would, I, I think it's an acronym. It means something. Hmm. Right. We are so remarkably unprepared for this segment. Yeah. I've asked two big questions that really help them drive it. So this is uh, so this is your story, though. But you, you, you're doing very well now. And you said the Gutfeld thing, doing regular stuff on Gutfeld helps, Jamie, right? It's absolutely 1 million percent changed my life. Like, 
I've been doing stand-up comedy for 25. I did The Tonight Show in 2001. Wow. Like, I'm an, I've been doing this for a really long time. And it's always been okay. Like, it's always been like, I wrote for some TV shows. I always, like, headlined. It always went fine. But this is the first time ever being this old. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm getting older, man. I just turned 48 right. years ago. And <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it, this, it, and to see, I was in Naples, Florida last week. We had, like, five shows, 300 seats. Almost every seat was taken for five shows. That's like, just you? It's just me. Really? No just band? Me. I spell my last name Fox, though. Jamie right, Fox. Jamie Fox. And, uh, <laughs> but it's been, it's been absolutely the most surprise. And I feel like if this happened to me earlier, I might be bitter or I might be sick of it. Every time... Like, if I had had people coming to my shows for oh. years and years, I think I might be like, ah, oh, take it for granted. This but you to can me, every day. It's every, I mean, people and the things they say to, well, I'm sure you get it too, but like, thanks for telling the truth. Thanks for not being afraid. Thanks for being on gut felt, you know, stuff like that. And, right. And you're like, really? I, I used to just try to make you laugh, and now yeah, it's different. Because yeah. what, what, I, what I noticed about Fox, especially last week, did you go to Hollywood, uh, Florida? Did you do the shows at all? Any of the Gutfeld shows? I did not. I was in Vegas all week long, so I couldn't get away. You, you probably would have had you on. You have you don't have viewers. You have uh, fans. Like they are really, they feel like you're part of your family. It's yeah. not, they don't try to judge you. They they root for you. Right. And I don't think any other channel from ESPN to TNT, they were like the Charles Barkleys and them were. That's a little different. They were already famous. But I don't think I, I imagine other news channels doesn't have that. They were like, I need to see Wolf Blitzer. Right. <laughs> There's no one right. who has that. Don't you think too? I like to compare. I've done. I probably have done 15 late night sets, meaning like a Leno or a late, late show, like 15 easily. Like where I did, no one ever came to my shows. Like every once in a while, someone would go like, oh, I so saw your nice thing, year. but not enough to ever impact how the comedy club business was doing that weekend. Right. Just a couple of people, but Gutfeld and some of the other shows, there's personalities and you learn about the, you don't just do like five minutes. I walk once a week. Once a week, I'm walking down the street or in a mall, and someone will say to me these exact things. Someone will go, hey. And I go, hey. And they go, are you divorced? And I go, yeah. And they go, are you from Alaska? And I go, yeah. And they go, Jamie. Every week, they go, are you the divorced And Alaska that's how they guy? break it down. They mm -hmm. don't want to make the commitment. Yeah. But, you know, what, Allison, what did you say? We were going over at News Duel because you're going to be on the, the Saturday night show. Yeah. And they're like, what, what stories would you like? What did you say? Do you remember what you said? Jamie loves divorce stories. He loves being divorced. <laughs> and so Allison brought that up in the meeting. I'm like, okay, let's find it. And they're like, okay, if that's the Thanksgiving spirit, you know, whatever. Because you're friends with your ex-wife. Yeah. I, she texted me right before the show. It says, uh, I hate you. It's, um, I, th I really feel that there's a... I not this is not funny at all, but I really believe that in divorces a lot of time people blame other people. And I don't think I think a lot of times it's a bad match or people were too young or people and so like that's how I think we view my ex wife got married this weekend. What did you say? Your ex my ex wife got married to kidding? another guy I'm I'm happy for. He's a you great are? Yeah, he's like a good dude and he's like uh You're over her. He's nice to be yeah, but we really are Friends. Friends and kind of like business partners when it comes to co parenting. Okay. You know, and all How and many I, kids? I have three. Wow, I didn't know you had three. I have three, dude. Three's a good number. Well, what's, what's the age? I have three, too. It's uh, 13. I don't remember the other two. But it's, uh, <laughs> no, I, I have 13, 11, and 8. That's good. They really need you. They want you around. Yeah, three's good because sometimes people will go, I don't know if you get this, but they go, do you have a favorite kid? And just because I know no one's listening, you know, my kids aren't. But I'll just tell you, mine, it's my neighbor's kid. He, <laughs> it's not yours. He's just adorable. Right. I got a picture of my phone That's fantastic. Here. And yeah. that's good. And you know what? 
if you can bond those kids will come together bonding because they agree on one thing don't like their dad that's right right <laughs> so that'll bring them closer yeah genius father's day they could do something with each other yeah not you yeah yeah because they angry <laughs> right and bitter yeah but what's funny is though it is the best even my kids, I feel like there's more divorces, I think, ha like when I'm, you know, telling yeah. your kids is the worst thing. Well, about, that's probably the worst thing about getting divorced. And what I did was I just told the oldest one and I made him tell the other two. Just, <laughs> right. He's just so good with kids. At the time he was five. Yeah. <laughs> but they get it. Like, they, like I remember my son going, I was really worried, like, how he was getting. And he goes, oh, I have friends who do this. Like, they get. And now you have, with divorce, you have your own, I have my own right. weekend. There's and no then money. when I do Gutfeld, I can I don't have to like do right. as much checking in every hour. I don't know. I like the separate. Hey Eric, uh, could you tell Jamie to rap like you tell me to rap all the mm -hmm. time because we're up against a hard break? I mean, why are you so you you give Jamie a pass? Yeah. I mean, he you, you go. This is therapeutic for you. Oh, I love you, it. You this is great. But I have to take a break. I'm not even sure if we're on the air. I just we're really enjoying. I'm this. pretty sure we are. Back in a moment. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kill Me coming up. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we got a couple of minutes. Uh, Jamie, are you, I know it's kind of awkward. Would you be on? One Nation Saturday night. You don't have to say yes, but we would just end up using just a test pattern if you say no. Uh, I would love to. Would it be okay if uh, I had a show right after your show called Under God? I feel like that would be a good One Nation Under God. That would be, Wouldn't that be kind of cool? I just we could cross that. promote? <laughs> that would be good. Right? Coming up next, Under God. Yeah. Right. But um, you know what's interesting? Charmaine the God? Yeah. Um, his show failed, they believe, on Cent uh, Comedy Central, and they're redoing it because he put God in the title. Evidently, people don't like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so now he's, he basically changed the name of it, something like Critically Speaking or Comically Speaking, so they're going to try to reboot it again. Have you been on th that morning show, The Breakfast Club? I have not. Yeah. It's, it's a, it was a big law. It's become like a big power play where a lot of politicians go on there. Well, I did not. That is very interesting about the God. Yeah, sure. Could you look up? Uh, uh, we only have a couple minutes left, but Allison, would you look up what the first name of Charlemagne's show was? Evidently, they did a study in the Comedy Center said the problem is God's in the name. Wow, you should call Allison um, Alexa. <laughs> That's true. You know? <laughs> you know what? You don't have to do it, Allison. <laughs> now I get sense this is going to be awkward. So a couple of things I'd like to talk about. Do you hear about, do you have a certain way to hang your Christmas lights? Do you go horizontal or do you drop from the top? When it comes to putting the putting the lights on the trees, you know what, man? I have like divorced man's tree. Like Which you is should what? see my tree. It's just popping out of the box. It, it come, you could set it on a bookshelf. Really? It's it's, it's like a mini why tree. Why bother then? It just makes me feel like I'm really big, you know. And uh, I go, I go over, I do the wraparound, which I, which I heard. You have to wrap around. Was not, is this not the way to do it? Well, th that's the only way I would do it. Although my wife got it from uh, last year. I was out for, I missed one day. I guess she doesn't like the way I do the lights. Yeah. Miss one day. Next thing you know, she goes, I got the lights. I dropped them from the top. We're done. I'm like, wow. What? That you know, was a message. You know what the hard part is getting them on the house. Right. right. That's much harder, than, especially in Alaska. Right. I, sometimes I'll just oh. wrap them right around my neck. Right. How cold is it when you're putting up lights in Alaska? If you don't do it early enough, it could be 30 blows. Which is September? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what you're looking at earlier. Yeah. Jamie, thank you. Yeah, good to be here. Kill me, thanks.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.